Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. I had a full-time job offer from a consulting firm, and I ended up saying no to that because I wanted to kind of keep working on the business. And it just made me go like, yep, this is something I'm really passionate about. I love running tours. Welcome to the Tour Operator Startup Series on the Tourpreneur Podcast. Travel industry veteran, Nikki Padilla-Rivera, follows a tour operator startup on their journey from idea to execution to we don't know where. We hope it's to success. But you're going to have to listen in each month to find out. And now, welcome your host, Nikki Padilla-Rivera. Hi, Tourpreneurs. This is another episode of the Tour Operator Startup, a series that follows tour operators who are just starting out, talking about their wins, their challenges, all in real time. I had mentioned that for this season, we're going to be featuring a few different tourpreneurs. So last time we chatted with Simon from Chango Tours Paris with his motorcycle sidecar tours, who we'll be catching up with soon. But today we're actually checking back in with She Shapes History, which if you listened to last season, um, we followed all of last year and Wow, have things changed since last time we spoke Um, from their team going from a team of two to a team of one to taking a break and what that feels like and what it feels like to come back into things to new partnerships who've literally been knocking on their door. Um, It's a good one. So give a listen. Any show notes, including links to the She Shapes History, or if you're looking for earlier episodes or last season, you want to catch up with them, you can head to tourpreneur.com. Hey, it's been so long. I'm so happy to see you and so excited to catch up. And I mean, just to jump right in, what's been going on since last November? What have we missed? Yeah, well, thank you for having me back. Okay, so I'll just kick off from kind of November. So November ended up being really good and December was quite good as well. We had like quite a few bookings. We had a few private bookings and it was giving us a lot of insight into how we could kind of structure our marketing and sales next year around the holiday season to ensure that we kind of got more bookings and more like team building bookings as well, which we didn't realize was like such a huge thing that people in Canberra and probably around the world spend money on around the holiday season and end of year celebrations. So we just didn't capitalize on it. But you had the interest. Yeah, we had so much interest. That's really Um, interesting. And people were like, I'll keep you in mind for next time. Or they would find out about it after they had booked something else. And then they would go, oh, I wish that we had done that which 
was like a really great learning experience for us. We were like, oh, there's actually this market for us in kind of, you know, end of year celebrations or team building throughout the year. So that was kind of good for us just thinking through like where we could get private bookings for walking tours. And so that was kind of December. And then January was a little bit slower. So kind of not too many bookings, but Canberra is really hot in January. Like the tours that I did run, I had people messaging me afterwards saying I got burnt. Like it was a great tour. <laughs> but I was just and too like, hot. I know. And when you get kind of messages with just photos of people's burnt shoulders, you're like, oh God, um, I've done something wrong here. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I forget because I'm um, so brown that a huge chunk of the population, especially the sort who like love Australian history, not as tannable. So that's what kind of pushed me over in terms of getting umbrellas. <laughs> so any of you who kind of like hot markets, I invested in like really good quality, these bright pink She Shapes History umbrellas, which have been useful both on really hot days and really wet and windy days. Are you gifting them to people? No, no, no. I just okay. kind of like take them on my bike, which they've occasionally like fallen off and I've had to like cycle back to pick them up. <laughs> but, and people... On the, like, random people while I was running the tour were taking pictures of, like, us in our tour group, which has never happened before. Whenever I'm kind of got people with the umbrellas out, people take pictures. So I'm like, oh, maybe I should just use umbrellas all the time. Or just dress in hot pink clothing. So that was, like, really good. And another just great learning experience. And then we ended up taking kind of February and March off because, like, Ripley left the business because they just found that, they couldn't financially justify working part-time and because the business hasn't been bringing in too much of an income as well. It's quite kind of difficult and they just had a bit more going on than I did. So they've gone and kind of gotten a full-time job and then, so now it's kind of just me at the moment. A team of one. Yeah, a team of one. And then I had something happening in my personal life, which led to me taking March off. So and like half of February, half of March. But I've been back up and running for the past like two weeks and it's been really good. I feel like kind of things are falling into place and the universe has just stopped kind of messing with me. And lots of kind of good things have been happening that give me a lot of hope for the rest of the year. Do you feel, I mean, your your breaks weren't the most positive ones maybe, or they weren't intentional breaks, but do you feel that there's almost something about taking a break just in general to sort of step back, not think about it? You know, I think even with high seasons and low seasons, so many tourpreneurs don't actually take that break. And I wonder if that's actually something that's beneficial in general, just to like, take a decent chunk of time off to step away and not worry about it. Because then I wonder if you come back a little recharged and, and I know more motivated. Yeah. I think that that's a really good point because one of the things that I thought a lot about on that over that month was whether or not I should keep doing the business, especially since it'll just be me. And I think that that was good for me to realize like, 
just kind of reaffirm my commitment because in that moment, I knew that I had options. Like I had a full-time job offer from a consulting firm and I ended up saying no to that because I wanted to kind of keep working on the business. And it just made me go like, yep, this is something I'm really passionate about. I love running tours. There are a lot of aspects of the business that drive me crazy, but I love running tours and I love developing tours. I realized too, which was interesting because I thought it would be like the tour guiding that I enjoyed more, but I really love developing tours. And that's one of the things that I'm kind of most excited about over the next year, being able to kind of work with others to develop new tours. So I think it was good for me to kind of just go like, what do I actually enjoy about this? And maybe kind of like, once I've got a bit more income, what can I outsource in ways that I just hadn't before because Ripley and I were kind of so reactionary in a lot of ways. How, I mean, are there any tasks that you're now realizing Ripley did and you absolutely hated? Finances. (laughs) Oh no, that's a big one. (laughs) Yeah, finances. That was like a huge, yeah. So I did a lot of the customer service type stuff and like that side of things and the forward facing just operation stuff. And then Ripley did the finance and now I'm having to like look through it and oh my gosh, there's so much. And now that I'm also kind of thinking about bringing on kind of two other guides just to kind of help me out, I'm like, how does this work? <laughs> and I can't keep kind of going to my mom who's in a trained account and like sitting next to her being like, mom, can you please show me zero? Because there's going to get it to a point where she just goes like, Sita, go take a business course or something. But how nice to have that bridge in the meantime. Oh yeah, I exploit my mother for all. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay, so then, so now you're sort of, you've reaffirmed, which is a really cool moment, I think, because now you have a little bit of a different outlook on this and and you know the direction that you want to go into. Where are you right now, just in terms of the season in Australia and, and what's coming up? Yeah, so we're entering into winter and Canberra's kind of rainy and icy season, which is not ideal, but this was around the time when we kind of launched last time, last year. And we did have people who came out during the winter, but I'm kind of looking at the next couple months as a good opportunity to develop some new tours. So I, because I'm a very just like creative person who loves working with other people and I'm a problem solver at heart. Like if anyone ever has any problems, like come to me, I will find the most obscure way to solve a problem. I was like, oh, I'm the one thing that I loved that I loved about the business was like being able to work with someone else and bounce ideas off someone else, especially when it came to kind of developing actual tours. So I then thought, if that's something I may enjoy, why don't I kind of like partner with some organizations maybe to develop tours? So I had one organization, like an arts organization reach out to me about kind of doing a series that would be a mix of like photography workshops as well as walking tours. So I'll be collaborating with a arts organization based in Canberra to co-develop a tour. So this tour will kind of be 50% focused on photography, which is their specialty, and then 50% focused on kind of like the walking tour and me guiding them through the landscape. Um, So it's playing to both of our strengths and they have a really big social media following and newsletter, which was one of the things that kind of pushed me over because I thought, oh, this will be a lot of work. 
by after we kind of went through each other's demographics, always like, honestly, if I could give advice to anyone who's going to work with another organization, it's figure out who your like social media demographics are because they are so powerful. Even if you don't have a big following, like we have just under a thousand followers, but because our demographics skew really young and skew towards kind of women and queer people, it means that like bigger organizations or like the national archives in Australia want to work with us. Even oh, though like that's a value of your company. That's a massive value add that we wow. kind of have a, a younger female audience. So know who's kind of in, and who are engaged, who engage with our content. So even though it's not a huge amount, like that is a massive value add and kind of gives us a seat at tables that we wouldn't have usually. So when I met with this organization, kind of, we both showed each other our demographics and I realized that kind of, they really wanted to reach our demographics, which are like much younger, but I would love to reach their demographics, which kind of skew a bit older and also have a higher income than a lot of mine who this would be something that they would kind of save up for. And it wouldn't be an instant purchase. Whereas that people who are kind of engaging with their service, this would be an instant purchase. So it was kind of like a really good mix from a sales perspective as well is something that I think is I like a topic that I am passionate about and that I would go on myself. So I'm kind of thinking a lot more about doing strategic partnerships that way. So I'm not just developing tours by myself, but leveraging other organizations or other individuals followings to develop something. And did they reach out to you? How did that yeah, partnership they reached, out, they reached out to me, which is what kind of sent me going like, oh, I don't have to do this by myself. I, I mean, I know I've, I've repeated this, I think on so many episodes and not that every company needs to have such a deep niche, but just to point out that by having a really specific and really impactful mission of promoting women's history and queer history and stories that haven't previously been told in Australia or aren't commonly told by that being so clear and so strong that people are reaching out to you. Like, I think the benefit of that really niche and important message is that these companies are doing the legwork that you would be doing, you know, banging on people's doors, trying to get collaborations. Like the collaborations are coming to you. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited about that. So, and they're also looking at getting funding for it because they're a kind of an arts organization. So a lot of their funding comes from like a mix of donors as well as, you know, like government grants. So they're hoping to get actual funding to fund like the research and development side of things and to subsidize the tour itself. So oh, that's amazing. So you could potentially get out of this, obviously like just alone reaching their demographic would probably be worth it, right? Because you're getting their marketing spend, basically. But then in addition to that, you might even be able to negotiate a stipend out of it for your actual time. That's pretty, that's, I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the the plan. So I was, that was one of the emails that I was going to send out today with like the cost of how much it would, how much I would basically be charging to help develop this. So they have it in their mind before they send up all of these grant applications. And would uh, this be a one-off? Is that what they approach you with or would it be an ongoing series potentially? They initially wanted a, like a one-off 
series of four different kind of workshops. So two where I would take the lead and it would be like walking through Canberra and hearing about the history and then and taking the photos and then two where they would take the lead. But after we had the like initial meeting, they got so excited that they were like, oh my God, this could be so long. We should do like a 12, like, you know, workshop series. And I'm like, oh my God, Canberra is big, but it's not that big. <laughs> Where do you think we'll be going? Like, just do a different street every time. So, yeah, so that's kind of, I'm excited to see where it goes and to kind of work with an arts organization as well. And then the other things that are kind of popping up this year is I'm developing this fire tour, which I've been hyping up at the end of every single tour. And it's actually the thing that's pushed people over into signing up for our newsletter. Like people who didn't immediately, yeah, like people who didn't immediately subscribe when they kind of purchase their ticket, I'll say, and in September, we're going to be launching, you know, a spy tour where we'll do this, this, and this. And then people get so excited. And then they'll say to me, oh my God, I need to hear about this when it launches. Am I on your newsletter? And then I'll go, I will check and make sure that you are. So that's been an interesting marketing kind of technique. That's fantastic. So because they want information about that one tour, they're very happy to sign up for the whole newsletter. Yeah, because, and that one tour that hasn't launched yet, I think that it would be different if that tour was kind of up and running, but because it hasn't launched and I'm like building that anticipation and there'll be like enough of a gap. So without feel like I'd say, Multiple people from every single tour will say to me, can you make sure I'm on your newsletter? Or like, how do I follow you? That's super valuable. Those yeah. Signups, just from that alone, simply by mentioning your future plans. Like, I know, because I really hype it up. Because <laughs> I like, I, I, this is, a, I didn't realize how much I loved people like clapping to me at the end of tours. <laughs> I didn't realize that was my love language, getting clapped at. I think I was a seal in a past one. <laughs> <laughs> but after people would kind of do the applause, I would, I like, I wouldn't know what to do. So at first I tried to do the funny, like bow. And then I realized that was not worth. And then I thought like, oh, I naturally started just hyping up future things because when I get a bit awkward, I start talking about kind of the future and it landed so well. And then I kind of refined how I did that. How do you bring it up? Is it because something on the tour reminds you of that future tour? Or like, how do you drop it in so it doesn't feel like a sales pitch? I do it at the very end. So it's one of the last things that I actually say, because people often kind of say at the end, like, oh, I really kind of love this. Oh, this was fantastic. And then I'll just go like, ah, oh, and you know, and later in the year, we're going to be launching a spy tour. And I think because I'm so excited, it gets people excited as well. And then I'll start kind of dropping some of the things that we'll do. And I'll be like, and that will, will include kind of stops at the pubs where, you know, the spies used to drink, where we're not going to drink like the spies because you all would need a designated driver. And I'll just kind of like point to a few things. People love the idea of drinking like spies. And then I'll say like, because this is such new history in camp, like all of this stuff happened in Canberra. So a lot of the spies still live here. Yeah. yeah. So, so many of them like still live in Canberra and because I work in that kind of sphere from at the university, I can recognize a lot of them. So I've seen them at the pub, like just drinking. 
So I could easily just go up to me like, what did you order in the 1980s with the Russians? And I don't think the kind of our spy agency would like say, don't tell anyone your drink order. Sure, right. You would think that would be, yeah, that would be like, safe. yeah, yeah, yeah. And but it's like it's not great as well because I've had a few people at work just tell me fun stories, and then I think, oh, you know that I'm a tour guide. I'm going to share this with everyone, and then they'll come on a tour like two months later, and they'll be like, holy shit, have you been sharing this every single time? Oh no. <laughs> That's a good lesson to learn. <laughs> yeah, but now I just say to people, if you tell me something, it's non-secret unless you say, Sita, don't tell anyone this. Okay, wait, we need to pause because I feel like so many important things just passed. And I want to sort of acknowledge them and give credit to them. The word vomit. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I, it's all amazing things, but I don't even think you're realizing these like fantastic techniques that you're using. First of all, promoting other tours on a tour, like this is a thing, right? That a lot of tour operators ask about, usually in the framework of how can I get my guide to sell more tours? Guides tend to have a resistance against selling tours because the word sales is really scary. It sounds really pushy. There's certainly so many tour guides on tours that are really pushy. So I think there's this like negative connotation. But that being said, if you think of it as something that the customer actually would be interested in, you're actually doing them a disservice by not mentioning it. So for example, and I'm going to tie this back in, but I don't know if you're doing a food tour and you're at a company that also has a beer tour and during the food tour, you pass a brewery, maybe you mention it or you mention something about beer. And one of your guests says, oh, I love beer. I love trying new beer when I travel. For you not to mention that beer tour, like they actually might be a little annoyed if they go home and are on the newsletter and see a beer tour and they would be like, I wish I had known that there was a beer tour because I would have signed up. So you have to like get into that framework. And I think you know, the way to sneak it in is just making sure it's relevant, right? So again, with that example, you're on a food tour, if you pass the brewery, just the passing comment of, you know, oh, and actually if anyone is interested in beer, we do a really great beer tour and then move on. That's all you have to do. They'll come to you if they're interested. So I love that that's actually what you're doing. Like people have told you at the end of the tour, they loved it. They've clapped for you, right? And so like, oh, cool. Well, you know, if you liked this, we're going to do more. You know, you're, you're taking that cue that that's actually what they're asking for. They're like, we had a great time. We would love to do this again. And, and so then people are very receptive to it. Right. And then obviously in your delivery, when you're excited about it, people are going to get excited about that. So I just, I wanted to call that out because that's amazing. You sort of like naturally picked up on that. The other thing I want to pull out is that you were just sort of naturally sourcing original source stories, which I just think we are missing on so many tours because it's safer and it's easier to get our information from history books. It just is. But without going on a rant, history books are usually written by a very specific demographic. They tend to be published a while ago. A lot of even tour guides aren't comfortable going to newer works because it's like, well, how can you vet this? You know, how can you be sure that it's accurate? All of that. But if you were sourcing first person stories, it's okay that it's not fact checked. 
to a degree, if you are presenting it as that, especially, I mean, a spy tour, that's like perfect. Cause it's like, well, the hearsay on the street is, you know, it's kind of in theme, but I mean, talking to the vendors, you go to a coffee shop, getting to know the people who work at that coffee shop, like not only is that going to make your tour better because they're going to treat your group better because they're going to like you because you have an actual relationship, but like getting to know their stories and their experiences, you can just share those things without having to worry about it being official. And again, there's a lot that goes into that in terms of ethical storytelling of making sure you have permission, making sure that they're cool with you sharing that, or maybe they're cool with you sharing it. If it's like, you know, you make up a name, you don't identify this bartender, you know, you say one of the bartenders here. But I think that's such an amazing way to add content to a tour because it's so unique and it's not information that people can look up because most tours are filled with information that people can look up because that's how they're written because it's just easier. I get it. I get why. But just, I don't know, I want to call that out and appreciate the effort that that takes you, but also how special that makes a tour to do that extra research for original source stories. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I would say that kind of 50% of the content from the tours is from just kind of talking to people around Canberra. My favorite line is that I have this on good authority that, and then I'll kind of, you know, go into a, a really weird fact. Or I'll say, this is unconfirmed and someone actually told me it's a bit fake, but I love it so much. I'm going to share it anyway. Which is, I mean, why not? Like exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like people love stories like that. And everyone always goes kind of like, no, tell me, tell me. So even if I, cause I have a few really great stories that I found out really early on and then later found out that they weren't a hundred percent true, but I still love telling them around certain groups. Like, especially if I have like a mom um, with a stroller on the tour, there's a really good story about kind of strollers in Canberra that I later found out was fake. But moms love hearing it and think that it's like the best thing ever. And those are just fun because, again, you know, a tour should be entertainment. It needs to be factual. You should be learning something. There's education in there, too, but it doesn't have to be at the cost of entertainment. Like if there's a really good story, okay, it's not totally true, but exactly as you're saying, as long as you announce that, you could still use it simply to entertain. Yeah, I agree completely. I think one of the big kind of mind shifts for me was realizing that I'm not there to teach people history, that they really do want to be entertained and that they want to have a good time and no one wants to be lectured or feel bad that they don't know this history. Because we find with kind of our tour, especially because it's like the biggest issue, not issue, but kind of biggest hurdle that we had with our tour, especially people at the start of the tour, where you would kind of be chatting to them and you'd be saying like, oh, what are you hoping to get out of this? And people would always apologize because they felt like they didn't know enough about Australian history or that they were like, I'm so sorry. So like the tour was starting with apologies. Then people are apologizing to me and saying like, I'm so sorry, I don't know any like of these women. And then I had a few tours where people would end it by apologizing. And I'm like, you should not be apologizing to me. This is not not the vibe I want. Um, 
So I just kind of realized that people like want to learn, but they don't want to feel bad that they're having to learn. So I kind of switched more into like the entertainer mode from like the get go. And it's made a difference. Like people come away and they say that like they feel really inspired and kind of good about it and they enjoy the tour. That's a Um, huge difference. What was that switch? Like, oh my gosh, this could be an entire episode in itself. That's such a big question. But like, how did you shift from, because you were very much comfortable in the teacher mode, if I recall. Oh, yeah. The language that you were using or how you were presenting things. I started... I started making a joke at the start of a lot of where I would kind of go, I would basically say like, oh, you know, my housemate describes me as an entertainer to all of her doctor friends because that's what I am at the end of the day. Or the other joke, if the crowd is a bit younger, I would say, oh, I like to think of myself as an escort who you don't get to have sex with. And immediately (laughs) everyone at ease. And they'd be like, whoa, fuck. A definitely sense of vibe. <laughs> but then people realize that I'm like not there to judge them at all. <laughs> and that they're there to have fun. And I kind of started playing up more, some of the more like ridiculous stories in the space. So I'd like share stories about, you know, the sea monster, like documents that are hidden at the archives or like the UFO that supposedly crashed. So I started sharing more of like the fun stories really early on. Mm. And I that like started setting a tone for like, oh, she's genuinely not here to like judge me for my lack of knowledge about like Australian history. That's so interesting that that shift, I don't know, was needed or that the the way people experience the tour changed so dramatically from that shift. Yeah, I think it was just kind of, I needed to make more jokes early on and mm. set the tone is like, I'm here to like give you a good time. Mm-hmm. That's why that escort joke like lands really well. Like it is, I don't know if anyone can pull it off. Like I give off the vibe that like they can pull that off. But like it lands so well. And I started, like I said, like a tour guide is basically escort, you know, get to have sex with like you're paying to spend time with me. I'm here to make this like good for you. <laughs> Tell me what you want. <laughs> I'm so sorry to all of the tour guides listening to this who don't see themselves as like sexless escorts. But I, I just, I don't know. I think that's kind of amazing. And I think, I think a lot of it has to do with personality, right? Like that it lands, but also because of you and your personality that that could land. Not that that's like an opening I would have ever thought you would start with, which is really interesting. But I, I don't know. I just think that's, I just think we should like let that sit and people should let that sink in because I think that's really interesting. And I think it's about giving people permission to experience a tour in a non-traditional way. And I say traditional meaning the, the connotation, whether or not this happens on most tours, that the tour guide is the lecturer that you're in a big group, you're listening quietly. And the value is that this really well-educated person who has all these facts is giving you all of these facts. And that's kind of what people expect on a tour. So I, I do feel like it's a little tricky for people who are moving away from that to get the group to understand that. 
and to interact in a certain way, like they might enjoy it more, but then if they don't know how to interact with it, there's still being that quiet audience. And that kind of sets back the vibe as well. Like they need permission in the same way that guests need permission to ask questions, which I think is the funniest thing, but they do like people just won't ask questions unless they're that one person who will not stop asking questions, but people need to be given permission. So I love this idea or concept of people being given permission to lean into the vibe of the tour of which this tour is entertainment as well as history. Yeah. And cause like the history of them sneaks in and I found that people are so much more receptive to the history and engaged with it when there's not the pressure to like remember every fact or the pressure that I'm going to like quiz them afterwards. Or there are a few kind of spots on the tour where I do like pop quizzes where I'll be like, guess who this person is? And then no one ever knows who it is because even though he's a statue, it's like an obscure Australian figure. And I use that and I do that really early on. And I use that as a moment to go like, no one's ever gotten it right, but I'm still waiting to make people go like, oh, I'm not the only one who doesn't know about Australian history. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay. We're, this is going to be like an hour and a half long episode. I'm going to save stuff for for the (laughs) next time we chat and catch up. But I want to get to, we already kind of covered like where you're at and your upcoming projects of seeing how this partnership goes with organization and and maybe bringing in some more of that kind of work. Oh, wait, I just have one more point. Yeah. Oh, please. The other collaboration that I'm going to be doing this year is I'm actually going to be, so I put the call out to, um, for guides on just like on an, on a social media post, I kind of said like, P.S. I'm looking for guides. If you like Canberra and are passionate, like send me a message. And I had quite a few people messaging me. Like this was on the She Shapes History Instagram. Yeah, this is just on our Instagram and Facebook. And I had quite a few people send me messages and people who are way more qualified than I am to be running tours. Like people who have been tour guides for like a decade in like cultural institutions sent me a message being like, I've moved into the public service. You know, I really would love to be able to like just spend a couple hours a week doing something I'm passionate about where I don't feel like I'm monitored. So I had my real, like everyone always talks about how difficult it is to get guides, but I feel like I had my pick because I was saying to people, I want someone who like doesn't want to rely on me for their full-time income, but will kind of step in here and then, you know, is really passionate and just wants to kind of share Canberra and women's history. So I got a few people who were like, great. And then one of the people who messaged me was a friend of mine who's like an award-winning artist and she wanted to kind of work to develop like an art tour that actually goes into some like the galleries and focuses on women in the collection, like queer people in the collection, like people of color in these collections that are in the smaller galleries. So we've been talking about that and we in talks with them. Canberra has an e-bike library where you can borrow an e-bike for a week for free. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I know, but great public program, but we'll just let that one slide. No, this is, this is an actual linking. I'm not just like bragging to about Canberra. But, and we've been talking with them about getting their e-bikes for like at a really, really low cost to be able to run the art tours on an e-bike. And you uh, reach out to them. Yeah, yeah. So the person, the artist who I'm working with, her mother-in-law 
is like one of the people who runs that program. Wow. So, and they're kind of like, this is a great program. We're kind of going to give it to you basically like at cost for us. Um, and getting that out there. So that's like another collaboration that's come together like really well. And I would have never thought to do e-bikes. Like I would have just thought like walking tours. And also I would have thought e-bikes were out of my price range because they're expensive. And I would have thought like, oh, I need to invest in this. Whereas kind of partnering with like a community, like government funded organization who wants people to engage with their program as well as Canberra more was like a way around that for us. So I just wanted to kind of say like, you can be really strategic about working with like organizations around and really small ones as well. But yeah, I will say too, I mean, for everyone who's listening to this, like this is too easy. I think (laughs) because your audience, your target audience is local, that also makes some of this, it gives you different channels because you're able to access these social programs, as you mentioned, that are looking for locals to engage and I just think that that helps in certain ways. It's, it's just interesting to observe. Yeah. Oh my God. I feel like I was just bragging. <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's incredible and it's all really good stuff, but just to kind of, I don't know, I'm thinking, I wonder if that's because your audience are locals, that some yeah. of these are, are kind of coming in and that people are really excited to work with you. That and again, the mission, and, and we've talked about this before, that it kind of, she shapes history is almost presented as a social enterprise. And that's going to get you in a lot of doors that your average food tour will not. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think that that really hit me as well. When um Justin from Local Source Tours in Sydney, who listens to the podcast, so Hey, Justin, shout out. Can we actually pause and talk about this? Can you, I know we were talking about this earlier. Can you repeat for the audience how Justin heard you on this podcast and then came to take your tour? Yeah. So Justin had heard about us through the Tourpreneur podcast and then reached out to me on Instagram saying like, hey, we'd love to come on a tour. And then he came on one and we grabbed a coffee beforehand and it was fantastic. Like I'd forgotten how much I loved talking tour operation with other people. And he gave me some really like great tips before. And then he kind of came on the tour and I felt like I was being audited in like the best way. He also took so many fantastic photos, like, and then posted them on his social media, which was very sweet, but he took some great photos. And I think because he was like, he's a tour operator, he knows what sort of photos you're looking for. But then after the tour, we were just kind of like chatting and I walked him back to his hotel and he was saying, you know, it would be great. Like I loved the whole tour, but it would be amazing if you maybe like started with an icebreaker and just gave people an opportunity for them to kind of say like, hey, this is who I am and where I'm from and why I'm here today, which I hadn't been doing because I would get that information as I was walking and talking with people. But I immediately implemented that on my second tour of the day, which was a private booking, but it made such a difference for me on my end, where I then had kind of information to riff off from the very start. So that was kind of like his first piece of feedback, which was really good. And then his second piece of feedback, which was also really good, was that I should just like flag at the end of the tour when I do my whole, you know, this is what's happening next, like the spy tour, you know, or please review us that I'm going to be sending them an email afterwards with that information because I do send the email, but I don't often flag that they're getting something in their inbox tomorrow. 
So they're um, almost like scrambling of, shoot, how can I remember this? Like, where can I write this down? Exactly. So that was also just really helpful. And then he was um, just giving me advice on kind of maybe like looking at Airbnb experiences a bit more and different like avenues for reaching people. So it was just so good. Like, and he was saying as well that the kind of tourism body in Sydney has not been as receptive and helpful as the one in Canberra where if they have like a good opportunity, they'll call me and let me know and say like, hey, see two, we're doing this. And I genuinely thought that tourism bodies like around Australia were all like that. And we're all kind of keen to see walking tour like operators succeed because, you know, we are really like the city's best marketing device because we're getting people for an extended period of time and get to kind of share the best of the city. Like I have, you know, encourage people to go to like migrant run restaurants or, you know, like women led bars that they wouldn't have known about otherwise, like kind of able to show the best of Canberra. But, and I think that kind of our tourism body in Canberra knows that and treats us really well as a result. Whereas it sounds like New South Wales doesn't as much and it's more focused on the really big ones. So I kind of left that feeling very privileged to be operating like in Canberra, which is such a small kind of community where everyone like looks out for you. And there's just so many opportunities because it's a small community. I love that. And I, I just, I think it's so great that, you know, tour operators should be friends with other tour operators and going on each other's tours. I mean, we're all in this together and we're, we all have the same goals and even in the same city, you know, I just, it like makes me so happy <laughs> that he came and, and was willing to share advice and and to kind of have that avenue of, of friendship and connection. I think that's just so wonderful. It was, he was so lovely. Like, and I'm going on one of his tours when I go to Sydney later in um, April and he was so lovely. And I really just wanted to be his friend. This is getting creepy, but you know what, Justin, it's fine. And I was like, there was a moment where I thought, maybe I should just move to Sydney where I can have tour friends <laughs> and Justin could be my friend. And I'm like, oh my God, CG, you're getting lonely in this industry. You just need friends in Canberra who are in the team. But that's important. I mean, that that is a real thing. I think when you're working in a vacuum, you can just kind of go crazy and, and you have no one to bounce ideas off of or thoughts or it's so important to make those connections with other tour operators. So important. Tour, guide, tour operator friends, priority, I think. He was just so helpful. Like, oh my goodness. He was amazing. So if you're ever in Canberra, please come on a tour. Like I'll shout you on. You can kind of do a, just an unofficial audit. (laughs) Amazing. Well, okay. I'm going to cut it officially because I have a million more questions, but I'm, I'm so happy to after, you know, it's been a while. We were checking in on a regular basis. I'm just so happy to catch up and hear how well things are going and that they're going in such a positive direction. And I can't wait to catch up soon. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully I'll kind of have updates when we catch up on, Mm -hmm. you know, whether all of these collaborations work Mm -hmm. or if they went south, which will probably be just as educational for, um, for the audience. (laughs) 
Oh, for sure. Spectacular losses are also really great material for this podcast. So welcome successes and failures equally. Thank you, Sita. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Torpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit torpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Torpreneur.